Hello and welcome aboard Fighting Catholic Jet Lag. My name is JC and I'll be your host for this podcast. I'm a flight attendant and I'm on a journey to find my place within the Catholic Church. I'll be accompanied by my friend and co-host, Father Larry Hostetter, a priest of 34 years and a doctor of sacred theology. He's a Catholic University president. And for our discussion, he'll serve as spiritual ground control to keep things on course for our flight back to faith. We'll be navigating through difficult and uncomfortable issues, so prepare for a bit of turbulence along the way. There won't always be easy answers, but no subject will be off the table. If you're ready to explore your own doubts and questions and reclaim your faith with us, then sit back, buckle up, relax, and enjoy our flight to faith. Oh, y'all. I was on, um, when I was on the plane, we had a jump seater and she came back and I played with my friend Lacey who had the really cute skirt. So what's a jump seater? So a jump seater is, you know, the little seats that we sit on, the flight attendants sit on. Why can't I have my icy? Because you'll crunch it and. Okay. I'm sorry. This is we have a um, podcast. Uh, Kona ice machine okay. truck. It's on campus, and Lauren, Doctor McCrary, brought us some plain ice. Um, I love it. Kona. That's my one yeah. of my favorite layovers. And so, uh, JC took it away from me so that we're not crunching. This sure week. did. You guys are welcome. Apparently, some people have phobias or abhorrences <laughs> about listening to other people chew. We're in their earbuds, and they can just hear right. us. Crunch. But I do want I, I want to be clear. I bet nobody could hear me chew last week. So what are you trying to say? I, I we know. could hear some chewing. We could, hear, we could certainly hear but some chewing. But it wasn't me. <laughs> All right. Let's go. <laughs> so anyway, what's a jump seater? Okay, so a jump seater. So the jump seat is where the flight attendants sit, right? And we always have an extra jump seat. So if the plane's full and there's a flight attendant that, you know, wants to fly on that plane, she can always sit on or he can always sit on the jump seat. So we Is have, that the really the safe yeah. seat that you all sit in that has the extra uh, harness and everything yes. so that if there is a crash, you all will survive and the rest of us are stuck in our seats with just the lap belt? Yeah, that's the idea. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So uh, y'all need us. Um, so that's why we have the extra harnesses. So, yeah. Does that make you nervous when you Yeah, of course that? you're going to, we're going to need you because you have that nice shoulder strap on. Yeah, definitely. You're tucked in there good. And, and we're, we're told, aft. And we're that's told to stick way. our heads between our knees and hold on. Works great for anybody under five foot eight. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. You're a part of the tall community. I forgot about that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a, do you have a, a code? For really tall people. Yes. And I can't tell you what it is. Okay. We have a soccer game today. I'm excited. Oh, about, let's talk about the soccer game. We're, we're excited about a soccer game. Two soccer games at two and then at four. Women play at two. And men play at four. So. Yeah. First game of the season. That's great. I don't know. What story? So what was the story? Oh, you never did finish your story because you. I asked you what a jump seater was. Oh, yeah. So she's, she's in the jump seat and I'm back sitting there with Lacey. And we're just, we're having conversations. We usually hey, Lace. What's up, Lace? She'll love that. Uh, well, I'm back there talking to Lacey and the jump seater gets on. Of course, this is like our only downtime between having, you know, passengers on board. And she walks back and we instantly get tense. And she's like, no, no, we're not boarding. I'm the jump seater. So we're like, oh, all right, girl, do your thing. She said, y'all just sit back there and kiki as much as you want. And Did she say Kiki? She said Kiki. And I said, I love to Kiki. I don't know if you all realize. By the way, uh, this is Father Larry Hostetter. Oh, this is J.C. Hartz. co-host, J.C. Hartz. Yeah, and we Doctor are of Sacred Theology. And, and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. this is uh, Fighting Catholic like Jet, jet Lag. lag. Um, and this part here is what J.C. likes to call the Kiki, Kiki time. Yes. Or just Kiki. Does Do you want to say quality? what you thought it was when I texted you and said, let's have a Kiki? Oh. You said you read it, and then you came to the podcast, and you said, "All right, let's kai kai, kai kai." And I, it was adorable, and I try, I did not laugh one bit. I said, "It's okay, we're all learning here." Uh huh. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. Well, I flew this week, 
And I've had a, I've actually, I've been flying a lot the past couple of weeks and had a good trip, went to Charlotte. So you've not had to tape anybody to their chair yet. We, this story, we are all so baffled by this. Maybe you've not seen the video, you've not seen the YouTube. Oh, of course, we've all watched it. It's not my airline. But our question always is, where did they get the duct tape? Because that's not an accountable item, as we say. You know, there was somebody named Marge who had a really big carry-on bag. And in there, she said, I've got got some some duct duct tape. tape. I've got you. And they just went ham with it. You know, as soon as she saw it, you saw her hand reaching into that She's bag. She's like, I've got it. This I've is every it. mother And she in just America. stuck it out <laughs> into the aisle. Use and we this. ran by and grabbed it. Yeah. Well, one of... Not you. It wasn't yes. your airline. <laughs> well, one of the... Because um, they got in trouble, didn't they? they well, they, 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 they the did. One of the golden rules of unruly passengers. We have ways of containing it, but the rule is you never... You never attach them to a part of the aircraft <laughs> because if something happens and it goes down, you can't get them off. Right. You're going to so somebody for, give me a exacto knife so I can cut this. For evacuation passenger. purposes, we need you to be able to move. Right. So I don't know, but that's not FAA regulated. I, I can do gotcha. that. So I haven't had to, but man. But I actually had, I did not have any duct tape worthy passengers. I had a really great flight. Had a lot of fun. I pl- I got to play matchmaker, and it was so much fun. I where did we? Come? So we got this distract. We got distracted uh, on the matchmaking story. That's what. That's what it was. You oh, were getting ready to tell yes. us. Yes. So yes, I didn't have any duct tape worthy passengers, but I was able to do a little matchmaking on this trip. So that was fun. We and we had a few bachelor parties and that kind of thing. But um, I had on the A320. And that's the perfect matchmaking airplane because you have four flight attendants and two of those flight attendants are sitting in the main cabin in front of or next to passengers, right? So you're trying to match flight attendants to passengers. It, I'll get, I'll, I'll explain further. Um, so on this particular flight, I'm sitting in the three left. This is so appropriate as we're going to be talking about the perpetual virginity of the Blessed Mother later. This you've got to cut that, but yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm okay. I'm sitting in the three left jump seat, and I don't even know how to explain it. But this seat, we call it the princess seat, because you're like really sitting up there, and you're you can see out. Is this one of the jump seats? Mm-hmm. You have an entire row of extra rope because you're sitting over the wings, right? And in front of you. About, I mean, closer, our, uh, with your legs, our legs would probably be almost touching, except I'm good, right in mm-hmm. that way, right? So you have two passengers and they like, they like to talk and they like to ask you questions and they like to know about your routes and stuff. And so one of these passengers spoke German, okay? Oh, was, this is where you got... Uh, yes, this was... Sicherheitsgurtel. Sicherheitsgurtel. Yes, seatbelt sign. Yeah, seatbelt. Seat about. See, I learned that shield would be the would sign. Be the sign. Yeah. Or Café That's Coffee Tijuana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whenever you fly international, by the end of the flight, you're going to know how to say Coffee Tijuana in whatever language right. you're on. Because you say it so often. But So anyway, there is this German gentleman who is sitting in front of my jump seat with a, another man. And there is another woman on the plane who takes a liking to this passenger and mentions it to me. I'm like, let me, let me see what I can do. So I asked her a few questions, preliminary questions. And then I went back and sat in my jump seat and I'm asking these two like, all right, well, there's someone on board that I think you should meet. So you ask the questions, are you married? No. Okay. Are you on any dating websites? No. Fabulous. Do you clap when the airplane lands? No. Good. You're in. So I'm trying to gather information to figure out what they're both looking for. And I'm going back and forth. And we got so far that finally she said, give him my number. I'm like, are you sure you don't want to? And she's like, I'm too embarrassed. Give him my number. And she said, and show him a picture of me without a mask on. Because we're all masked up. We don't know what we look like from the nose down. And so she shows it to me. 
And I'm like, all right, airdrop it. So she airdrops it to me. So I, I'm like, this is her. She's a very lovely lady. She doesn't clap when the airplane lands either. You all would be perfect together. So gave him the number. I wrote, I wrote it down on this little piece of paper we have on each leg where they like add these little like paper tags to like the beverage cart. You all need to be seeing the expressions on JC's face as she's <laughs> telling this and the hand motions that she's making. This is me in confession best, too. <laughs> it's the best part of the story. When I, this is me in confession. Just like I think she has some Italian in her. So um, we're, I, I go to the back. I get this perfect idea in my head and I go to the back and we have these little paper tags on our beverage carts that say like we are flying Salt Lake to Detroit, right? And it'll say like Salt Lake to Detroit and it'll have the date. I go back and I get one of these tags, okay? And I write her number and her name on it thinking when they get married, how cute at the rehearsal dinner will it be when he is holds it up like I fell in love with her on the plane and this is full circle and it had the date and the time they're obviously the wedding's in June. Right. So, um, I, I give it to him and I'm like, sorry, I got her number, but this was all I had. And I'm like, but tell me what happened. So the best part though. So they don't even know each other's names. Oh, they do now. So if somebody calls up and says, Hey, the flight attendant gave me your number. No, no, no. I got his name, obviously. Okay, yeah, good, good. And and I, I even went so far to say, are you Catholic? And he, he said, I, I mean, I was. And I'm like, great. We also have a podcast. So I plugged us as well. And the best part, during the deplaning process, he gets up and he's like, thank you so much. He's like, this was the best flight. And I'm like, I don't get paid enough for this. This is what I'm here for. And he gave you a tip. Uh, I don't need a tip. I am just so, this is what I live for, Father Larry. Okay. So he gets up, grabs his stuff. He walks out and she's, she's standing up there on the plane. And now at this point, everyone on the crew knows what's happening. We right. are invested in this. Okay. Because they don't this have. This is giving me anxiety. I'm in the best way. Rebecca too. Is you getting anxiety over this? Yeah. It's like. So we are all, I see Melissa in the back peeking her head over and I'm like, this is the one. So he walks up, I see her like 20 rows in front of me and she's gathering her stuff and he stops to talk to her. And even with a mask on, I can just see her face go red. Okay. And I'm sitting there between a seat and the ceiling, just like this. I'm so invested and I'm like, just like cheering them on. And at one point, taking pictures, you got the best view. <laughs> at one point he like is saying something and he like points back and she turns around and I'm like, you got this. Then he walked off. And the best part was when he, when she turned around to look at me, like, Oh my gosh, I saw him turn around to look at her. It was so adorable. So I talked to her after the flight and I'm like, girl, this is amazing. So this is just a day. In so the have life. they been in, in touch with you to say I, whether it's I cannot, I will never give up the information of my passengers because right. that is classified information. So that's an F A R. I mean, so what if it was a creep? What if she was a creep? No, that I, would be sexist. We, yeah, you they could be, that. they could be no longer my problem. I'm simply here to be the servant between the people and the church. Matchmaker, matchmaker, find me a match. I like, well, I don't know what that is. What is You that? ever watch Fiddler on the Roof? Mm -mm. No? Yeah. Fiddler on the Roof. I mean, I've heard of it. Okay. It's about a fiddler. Did you ever watch the movie of uh, Our Lady of Lourdes that I gave you? The, the uh, one where the actress won mm -hmm. the Academy Award? Yes, she is. She's Bernadette. Yeah. So great. Song of Bernadette. Did Song you Bernadette. watch it mm -hmm. in front of everybody? You're telling everybody you watched it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Confession is so much harder when it's face to face. Oh, Would you I agree with that? Sit in your not I really, I ha actually have positioned the DVD. It's a DVD you gave me. I have it. I know it's old school. In a place where I will see it every day. And today, in fact, I'm like, I'm going to watch a little bit of it because I know he's going to ask me about it. And I'm like, but I don't have a DVD player. I'm going to go back and watch it. Yeah, I think you have to think of a Catholic. We should do a, a thing on best Catholic movies. So this is approved Catholic watching. Oh, yeah. Okay. No doubt. Great. Because you know how sometimes Catholic movies that you're like, 
this is approved Catholic watching. This is great. And so you pop it in, um, in sixth grade thinking it's about mystical things like heaven and hell. And then you realize that it's Rosemary's baby and it's not (laughs) approved Catholic watching. (laughs) This isn't like that. Yeah. This is all ages. If you've seen Song of Bernadette, will somebody please send me the cliff notes? That is all. I spent $14 on that. No, I mean, I'm going to watch it. It's still like, it's meaningful. It doesn't take away the $14 that you spent on that. (laughs) I just haven't watched it yet. Anyway. Well, actually, you know what? While we're on it. Speaking of money spent on each other, you haven't worn the thing I got you from Peru. It's from, summertime. Well, it's a heavy sweater. It's a heavy sweater in the yeah, summertime. But I'm going to watch it, but I would really appreciate you wearing your sweater. So I would feel better okay. I will, even though the air conditioner in the pod room, pod loft doesn't work. Lauren, half the time. Do you all have air conditioner in your office? We actually don't. Do you have <laughs> air conditioner in any of the student centers? Yes. All right. Very nice ones? air conditioner. Oh, it's cool. The cafeteria? It's cool. Cafeteria. All right. So we have one clarificational, right? To wrap up the kiki or the lighthearted banter, as I prefer to call it. And that is, did you all know that Thomas the Train Mm. in England is called Thomas Thomas the Tank? Tank. My girl, Rebecca. Rebecca, why don't you hop in and tell us about that? It's actually Thomas the Tank Engine. Uh (laughs) The Tank Engine. Well, the Tank Engine. And it's probably because there was a tank that held the water turned into steam that pushed the engine forward. So we would say steam engine. Question. And probably say tank engine. Was the water for steam, was that holy water? No. (laughs) All right, just checking. That's like Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone and Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. You say sorcerers here. Yes. You say philosophers. In Peru, you know the kids show My Little Uh Pony? They don't call it that. They call it Mi Little Yama. <laughs> and on the little girl's t-shirts that you can buy, it's Mi Little Yama, and it's a little llama. <laughs> so, Everything's relatable. to This actually fits very well with, you know, even the church sometimes gets translated into things that are cultural. You yeah. said that in, in And sometimes we don't do a good job at it, you know. So, like, the color white in some Asian countries is a color of mourning, but in Western countries it's a color of celebration. Mm-hmm. But we wear white at Easter. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the Bible, wasn't it um, in Genesis where God said, I will take a rib and make someone, like, it was supposed to be your equal, but there wasn't a word for that. So then it kind of came out as, like, Eve was more not an equal. Right. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, in fact, there are two accounts. One holds up the quality of man and woman a lot more than than the, the other one because of the translation. Yes. But and even in things- light and darkness. It's like our conversation on heaven and hell. And it's like, is hell the absence of light, or is it this truly evil place? But I remember you had told me that, it was just like a yin and yang, like a light and a dark. Well, hell is our is is if we experience eternity without the presence of God, and since we're made for God, that would be the most. We would be eternally frustrated because if, if if we're made for God and we're eternally out of God's presence, I think I think that's my favorite thing you've said. Do you ever feel eternally frustrated with this podcast? No, no. No, okay. not really. Okay. Others, those of you who are listening might, especially since we already promised to get to the fish and potatoes here or fish and chips, and we still can haven't. We, can we change the podcast name from Fighting Catholic Jet Lag to Eternally Frustrated? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, let's go. Wait, let's do, oh, we did the clarification with Thomas the Tank. So everybody knows that Thomas the Tank engine is the correct way of referring to Thomas the Apostle. It is not in England. how you would refer to your drunk friend in college. Right. Okay. I think that's the only clarification we have. But as promised, uh, last week we had a conversation about the assumption. And then we said that there are actually four main dogmas in the church. And we said dogmas are really important teachings and, generally speaking, must be held by Catholics as part of the faith. They're considered so integral to the faith that that's the the part of our essential belief system. Mm -hmm. And those four things, I'm sure everybody remembers, the motherhood, Mary's motherhood as mother of God, Mm -hmm. uh, the Immaculate Conception, Mm -hmm. the Assumption, and the Perpetual Virginity of Mary. And And so so today we're covering... The other three. 
but perpetual virginity is probably the most controversial one, right? Mm-hmm. But in order to understand perpetual virginity, we kind of have to get take a couple steps and make sure we understand what it means to say Mary is the mother of God and her immaculate conception. What do you think modern people think when they hear about Mary's virginity? I mean, you kind of said a couple of things last time about how dare yeah. how dare we even talk about somebody else's mother's virginity. <laughs> Well, I stand by that comment. Seems a little puritanical. But. Uh, yeah. Uh, you you just think of Mary as a virgin, as never having sin on her heart, always being impure, and we relate that to sexuality. So are you saying that people who are not virgins are automatically sinful? I'm not saying that, but that is kind of the perception. That's the impression. That, that's, that's the impression given. that um, definitely the church has given. And growing up, the idea of Mary as a virgin wasn't offensive. Um, it was kind of like Jesus's birth was an even bigger deal because he was born of a virgin. Like that's whole miracle. Um, but where I have trouble connecting the, the dots with this and with Christian teachings is, did this one thing have to happen in order for God to have the ability to make this other thing happen? Right? So part of being a good Catholic girl is holding on tight to that perception is what we're given as women and girls and children of, you know, it's not gender exclusive, but holding on to that. Um, and it kind of, for some of us, you rationalize this by thinking God can only work miracles through me. Like he did Mary, if I can hold on to that as well. So that's kind of what we're given with that. Absolutely. And that's why it's real. That's why that becomes such a big thing to us. And we are trying to model that as Catholic women because it kind of seems as though miracles can only be worked if you say pure, like Mary did. And, so that's where I am with it. And many uh, Catholic feminists would argue, and I, I think I understand the argument and, and agree with it, uh, but they would argue that that particular view is also one of the sources of misogyny in the Catholic Church. Why do you think that? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to try to explain that but by reading something to you all from, this is from St. Bernard of Clairvaux, one of his homilies. Now, he wrote this in the 1100s. Okay, so we can't judge him by 21st century standards. Wouldn't be fair. It was 900 years ago. Okay, but still, I think in terms of trying to understand why some people have a problem with the, this idea of Mary's perpetual virginity, even Catholics, um, or at least how it's presented, mm-hmm. uh, that you described so well, uh, I think it shows us where some of this comes from. And so, again, in the 1100s, he wrote, um, and this is from a homily on the glories of the Virgin Mary or the Virgin Mother. So, even there, we're talking about Mary, you know, kind of as this superhuman, the glories of the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we should. We, we, you know, she was special to all of us. And he writes, there was only one mode, there's only one mode of birth that was worthy of God, and that was to be born of a virgin. So that sentence, in my mind, says everything. And I think the question is, why? Why is a virginal birth the only mode that is worthy of God. Right. And, and I that think kind of goes back to what I just said of that is what, that's the impression we're given that it's the only, your worthiness is tied to that. Right. To your, to virginity. And mm-hmm. if you're not a virgin, just as we tie Mary's worthiness to right. her virginity. Yeah. And so you're, if you're not a virgin, you're not as worthy as a woman. Right. And that, that really, that also ropes in, I mean, women who are, victims of sexual violence as children. And so it's not even that point we're perpetuating that with the way we talk about it, but it's not including just those who choose it because some women don't have that choice, but we are, we're tying it to spirituality. So the uh, uh, Bernard continues, the maker of humankind, if he was to be made man, and destined to be born of a human would have to choose to create a mother whom he knew to be worthy of him, who he knew would be pleasing to him. It was his will that she should be a virgin, 
so that he could proceed from an unstained body, mm. stainless, to purify mankind of its stains. And so the implication here is that someone who's not a virgin, especially in this case a woman, is somehow stained. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it comes right out and says it. Again, 11th, you know, 12th century, 1100s, mm-hmm. um, there is actually a way, I think, of understanding Mary's perpetual virginity that is not offensive, or at least it might be, but I think I would try to make an attempt to explain it in a way that that wouldn't be offensive. But I, I don't think Bernard helps us if we're reading it in a literal way and not trying to understand that Bernard probably had a deeper understanding of this than what appears at first glance. Mm -hmm. But I highlight this because anybody reading this without maybe having a more nuanced understanding of virginity or what Bernard was trying to say or the cultural context in which he was saying might come away with the impression that being virginal is a higher state than somebody who is not. And that that woman, a woman's worthiness, because you said this last time, we don't talk about male virginity. Because we never, we, I mean, we never say the virgin Jesus. We, no, we don't. We don't. Although it's implied that he, he remained virgin. Implied, but we don't tie him to It's not to a feast. That. It's not a feast day. I mean, even with, it's not a feast day. <laughs> even when. We don't say the blessed virgin Jesus. We do not. And when we talk about saints, mostly with, with women, it's. Um, martyr and virgin, <laughs> or virgin and religious. Virgin, yeah. Yes, yeah. it's it's always. I'm like, I don't want to know about. I don't In fact, know that. Uh, Pope John Paul II <laughs> wanted to uh, canonize more married people because yeah, of that very right. reason. Let's do it. Um, and and there have been a few, but still, I think there's still a lot of holdover in the church for this. And this is a, a reason why, at least Catholic feminists that have talked to me have said why they have such a difficult time relating to Mary, because of this understanding of Mary that doesn't relate to their own experience Mm -hmm. and makes them seem like they can never be worthy enough to do anything of real importance in the church. Right. And without a doubt in the history of the church, there is misogyny. There is Mm -hmm. a a deep sexism where women were viewed as second class and not uh, as contributing to the life Mm -hmm. of the church in the same way that men Mm -hmm. can. Although the history also shows that women did contribute in an incredible way to the life of the church. Yes. So what do we do with this Mm -hmm. perpetual virginity? Because it's part of our teaching. Mm -hmm. It goes back to the first century of Christian writers talking about Mary and Mary's virginity. It was defined, I believe, in the sixth century at the Council of Constantinople. I believe that's right. I'll have to do a clarification if I'm wrong. And actually further clarified by a pope after the council that when talking about Mary's perpetual virginity, that it's talking about uh, before she had Jesus, while she had Jesus, and after she had Jesus. The problem with that is virginity becomes defined purely in a biological way mm-hmm. in terms of physical processes. Mm-hmm. Um And there's got to be more to a dogma about Mary. Mm. I mean, if we're saying this is one of the four principal dogmas about Mary, this has to be more than just about whether she physically was a virgin. And even now we know that that really is an outdated concept that doesn't mean anything. Physical intact virginity. What do you mean by that? They actually believed that Jesus did not enter the world in the way that all of us did, unless we were cesarean section babies. You know, the normal way vaginal delivery. No, let's try it again. <laughs> Just try she to- is kind of a prude. So what they were trying to say is that Mary, because they had this biological understanding of uh, virginity, and JC doesn't want me to go into detail, so I won't, but you all know what I mean. Most people who are born, who are not born by cesarean section, um, they believed that Jesus came out of Mary like you can say light okay. came from her. I can say womb. You can say womb. JC is very puritanical. Um, 
so that she came forth from that Jesus came forth from the womb like light through a pane of glass. Well, I've so never that had she children. Remained... Lauren, is that childbirth? No, exactly. Word for word. Word for <laughs> right. word. Okay. All right. So this is why this is so. This is why, why this throws people off. Life. So this is the way people thought of this, and because they had such a biological biological understanding of virginity, and you know that Mary was preserved uh, in her bodily virginity again, which. Um, can I say hymen? No. I know how to talk about this in a way that's clinical and... So far, though, not... So Lauren sent me something that was really interesting today that really explains the perpetual virginity thing and why we believe it. Mm -hmm. And it says that the virginity aspect is central to Mary's identity. It's who she is, not just biologically, but spiritually. All of her life, Mary possessed an integrity that every other human person since Adam and Eve has lacked. Because of that integrity, her body perfectly expressed her spirit. There was no tension between the two. Accordingly, since Mary's soul was entirely consecrated to God, so too was her body. Her physical virginity was a perpetual sign of that consecration. So that really helped me understand why we believe that because it's her spirit matches up with her body physically. And so Lauren and I were kind of discussing this and she found that on a website and, um, and I was saying, I, I love this and I, I, it really sums it up, but I really disagree with some of it. And maybe not about this pertaining to Mary, but the part of because of that integrity, her body perfectly matched her spirit. Um, because of this, when we get into this territory, we're kind of saying you and your sexuality must uphold this perception or you are not a woman of integrity or of God. Um, and we're entitled to that opinion as people. But as church, it's kind of dangerous territory. Rolling projects our opinions as as God's opinion. So. Can you kind of talk more about that? Okay, what you're presenting, and what, what I think I was trying to do was try to give the medieval understanding so we can understand why Catholic feminists are upset with this teaching sometimes about perpetual virginity because it is so physicalist. It's all about Mary's physical virginity yes. rather than something that is more spiritual. Mm -hmm. And so what we get to is a modern understanding. If and my point is, if this is something that goes back to the first century, we can't just ignore it. Mm -hmm. We can't just say, okay, yeah, we're just going to get rid of 2,000 years of teaching because we don't like it today. Okay. So how can we understand it? Again, it's about, being, about finding meaning. Mm -hmm. What is the meaning of this understanding of Mary's perpetual virginity? So you just read something that Lauren gave, which is a more contemporary understanding of that. Mm -hmm. But you said even with that, you've got some problems. Uh, well, and it, it goes back to, um, I think, where I have, where the issue is for a lot of Catholic, especially Catholic women, is that perception boxes us into who we are spiritually is defined by what we are physically. And I think that can be dangerous territory. Right. And, and I think people regret i think people are okay with the idea that mary was a virgin before she had jesus and maybe even in the catholic tradition that you know she and joseph decided absolutely you know that they would not not engage in marital relations after the birth of jesus that's not the protestant position but that is the catholic position the part is that you know that she didn't have pain in childbirth, but like a pain through glass is one of the ancient writers. So like a light going through a pane of glass. Was it a woman ancient writer? Was no, it, it was a man. You know, it was a man. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he understood. He really knew. Right. Yeah. Well, no, he, I'm, I'm sure he knew that. He knew what? That women died in childbirth and had extreme pain. I mean, he didn't, probably didn't witness it. But yeah. so he was trying to preserve Mary from that. Well, so that's, so that's not even the problem. That's more like, all right, more power to her. That's great. That's an epidural. The problem is, is that we are so focused on it. Right. It her. But I've heard. But I've heard Catholic moms have a problem with that okay. because they say, "I 
Yeah. It's, Mary, I want to relate to Mary as a mother. And, and that, but that I'm, I'm trying not to make it where I, we're picking and choosing because, oh, I've, I've experienced childbirth. And so I want to make her more relatable to me. What I guess I'm saying is that aside, if that was her truth, by all means, that's great. Right. If perpetual virginity that, was, was her truth, by all means, fabulous. But the issue that we all have with it is that it, it it's such a focus. And I was telling Lauren, I'm like, from what we know about Jesus, he was this really cool dude who never wanted any of his friends to feel bad for who his dad was. And he learned that from his mom because she's the one who raised him. To say that she would want to be known for that, I mean, I don't know, but it's just not fair that to her. Right. It is not fair to her because her humility what that is doing, right. what we are, we are shaming women in the name of God and we are using her to do it. Right. Which is again, which bring me back to, can we understand this doctrine, this dogma, which by definition is something all Catholics uh, have as part of their essential belief system. Can we understand it in a way that doesn't do what you're saying? But before we get to that, I want to do a clarificational right now. Already? Yes. We're like 10 minutes in. Because I said something that was wrong. You said Motherhood that. is not defined by delivering a baby. Oh, I didn't hear you say that. I, I said it. So, and I, as soon as I said it, but I didn't want to interrupt you because I don't interrupt people, you know. But as soon as I said it, I thought, oh, wait a minute. That's not right. right. Motherhood is so much more. Some mothers and, never deliver a baby. And femininity is not defined by childbirth. But I'm talking about motherhood. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but in general, but what, what we are saying as a church um, is... No, you are defined right. by that. You are defined by your sexuality. When we take the one woman y'all have given us, Mary, uh, you've given us two women. They're both Marys. One of them we have essentially slut shamed. <laughs> and I know you're right. We don't have that many women from sacred scripture that so, are in, deeply involved in the life of Jesus that we know about. We do know from sacred scripture that women were part of the disciples. Yes. But and the we women know that you Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was the apostle to the apostles. Yeah. In fact, that, you know, her her holy day was re raised to the level of a feast because we wanted to give her that recognition. For and her. we love feast. We love feast. <laughs> we love feasting. But anyway, and the reason why I say that is there's no biblical evidence that Mary Magdalene was ever a prostitute. Yes, you're exactly but right. But historically, as a way of kind of keeping her and, you know, yeah. and, and not, not letting her be, have too much credit. That's that right. It's what some people believe happened. But. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. So I want to so, go back to the question then. Is there a way of understanding one of these four key doctrines, dogmas of Mary, the perpetual virginity of, of Mary, something that we've been told is an essential part of our faith, is there a way of understanding that that doesn't do what you're saying? Yes. Understanding her purity of heart and not just of her body. Yes. And before I went off on all of that, I, what, I'm, what I want to say, though, is what we're given is that it was both and both are the most important. Mm -hmm. So let's focus more on that purity of heart and get away from the physical aspect of it. Why haven't we done that as a church? And then a good question. And I think we have in the last 20 years or so, but it probably isn't something that is at the fore. Most Catholics aren't thinking about the perpetual virginity of Mary as, you know, something that's a critical part of their day to day. Uh, life, faith, and experiences. I would absolutely disagree with you on that. It is if you are <clears throat> someone who made the right decisions and you don't feel that your faith is wrapped up in what you've done. But for everyone else, that Catholic shame that's been heaped on them. I mean, that, that does, that is a day-to-day -day thing. Yeah. And, and that's why I was making that point is because of the, the meeting that we had with a group of younger Catholic Catholics. women and 
older Catholic women yeah. who have a very different understanding of Mary mm-hmm. because of all of the stuff that talked about that they heard about her perpetual virginity. Whereas in that same meeting, the younger Catholic women were like, that's really not what we worry about when it comes to Mary. Yeah. We think about her as a woman to emulate and model, and you don't really think about her yeah. in terms of her virginity. Yeah, because we don't think about our friends in terms of their virginity. Right. You know, and that's kind of what I was getting at. Is that think about how often are they showing up to the pod loft to bring us ICs, Lauren? Like that's what's on our mind. You're welcome. Mine was good. So kind of to, to wrap it up, I, uh, you said it perfectly earlier. Um, when we talk about Mary's virginity, the perpetual virginity of Mary, yes, it's part of our faith. It's something that is essential uh, to our understanding of Mary. But the way you put it as her uh, an understanding of her in terms of the purity of her heart, the purity of her, her motivations, um, her um, focus on the life of her son, who wasn't just her son, but was also her redeemer. You know, I that's mean, that, a little bit of pressure there. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure, right? <laughs> it brings it back to uh, what we talked about last week, that all these Marian doctrines tell us something about ourselves and who we're called to be. Mm-hmm. So if Mary's assumption reminds us that we will all be glorified in the resurrection someday, as she was at her death, if the um, motherhood of Mary reminds us that we're all called to birth Mary, in, uh, birth Jesus into the world. Heck yeah. Um, through our own lives. If the Immaculate Conception reminds us that just as Mary was conceived without sin in the womb of her mother, so we were reconceived without sin in our own baptisms, mm-hmm. again, pointing to what, what's happening to us. Show, so in her perpetual virginity, she shows us about what ultimately we're called to do in our relationship with God and the focus we're called to have and the purity of intent that we're called to have in terms of how we relate with each other and how we relate with God. And it doesn't have a whole lot to do with the physicality of virginity. It did in the Middle Ages. It shouldn't today. We should have moved, I think, a little bit beyond that and can understand that in a far more spiritual way, but recognizing that Mary is not just a spiritual being, she's a physical being. And her her dogmas shouldn't be used as a tool for division. Right. But instead, what we can all do spiritually and not just, it doesn't have to be a physical. And, and, you, and shouldn't be used as a way of shaming women or keeping women as second-class citizens. And I think we need to be honest about the misogyny in the church that has come about precisely because of how we sometimes present Mary. Do you, do you think there's still misogyny in the church? Yes. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, what don't we, you? Do you? I I would say um I'd be, I'm gonna be shocked if you say no, I really don't. <laughs> uh well whenever it's tied to religion, it feels t- too scary to even to even consider. Because if you're saying the church is misogynistic, then what does that say about you? Yeah, you I don't, I'm I wouldn't say the church is misogynistic. I think there is misogyny in the church. It's like I don't think you know, the, the conversation that we've as a country have had for the last year, I don't think America is racist. There's definitely racism in America and there's structural racism in America. I would say the same thing about the church. The church is, uh, we can say that about racism as well. The church is not racist and is not sexist in its essence and who it is, but there is definitely racism and sexism expressed in how we as human beings have structured the church because it's led by human beings right. that are fallible and but the church itself and god mary jesus they are they are not they are not necessarily the church well they're part of the church they are too. part of the yeah, church I but mean, by saying by communion. me saying or you saying the church has is misogynistic, even though you, you didn't say that. We're not saying that God right. and Jesus and Mary are. No, no, no. I'm right. saying that there are there are things. misogynistic structures in the church. Yes, and there are racist structures in the church. So, what are we doing about that? We are as the I can't remember which uh, 
who said this, but it basically said the church is semper reformanda, which is a Latin expression, which is always reforming. And if you look at the history of the church, which there, for me, there's the history of the church always reminds me more than anything else that God is in charge because somehow through some of the worst abuses that we as human beings have created, even within the church, goodness is still able to somehow break through, and that's God's grace working through us. Um, and so God takes these weak, fallible creatures that he loves uh, with a love that we will never understand, and he gives us the freedom and intelligence to find our own way, and we inevitably fall off that way and head down a path that is not the path that God put in front of us. Mm -hmm. And then God finds a way to call us back and we find our way back. But inevitably what happens again, we kind of drift off and you look at the old Testament, new Testament history of the church. It is a constant story of God calling humanity to our best. We doing our worst <laughs> And then God calling us back. And if you look at the lives of the saints, you have people like St. Francis, St. Clair, mm -hmm. great examples who kind of during times when the church was really messed up mm -hmm. would remind us of what we were called to do and who we're called to be. Which is? To become the church that God intended us to be, to, to become love. the body, the body of Christ in the world and to love as we've been loved. Yeah. And to allow God to work through us and... We can't do that when we're when we're Catholic guilting ourselves for each other over things that we think we need to live up to or have to live up to that we haven't been able to. Right. But to me, a, a lot of this feels a, a little chaotic because, and I've talked to those some of our listeners about this because it's very different from how I organize a, a, a lecture, which right. typically follows. You know, it starts off big and then it keeps getting smaller and smaller until I get to the, the main point. Mm -hmm. But apparently our listeners don't feel like it's chaotic. Well, and for me, I mean, I, I think we're, you and I are operating from two completely separate experiences. And what, what you're saying, I can understand the importance of needing the logic in it and the explanation of things. And for me, I just, I, I don't care what was preached or what was said or what was written. I just want to hear that it doesn't matter the mistakes you've made or who you feel you are, or what you've become, God can still work through you. And I, I think it's, it's unfair to group us into those things. Um, because like, give me, give me the women who are owning themselves and their bodies and care about their friends and are trying to make a difference in the world and are comfortable with themselves like that. That to me is more godlike than someone who is I'm too afraid to be myself right. because I don't want to look like I don't love God enough. Right. So yeah. I I just I want to hear that as a half leg. I want to hear that it doesn't fine. matter how you dress. It doesn't matter if you don't have the prop. You don't say the proper things when you are around clergy or you say our boy, Bishop Medley. I can't believe I said that because apparently he's listening. It's okay <laughs> to be yourself. And but, to be who you are right now with all the decisions you've made, good, bad, and any other decisions. And God loves us. God loves you uh, without any hesitation yeah. or condition. Because when we group ourselves into thinking I'm either good or bad, okay, we are not allowing God to work through us. Right. When I think to myself that I'm falling short and if I cut it off completely thinking I am this one type of, I'm this one person, I will never be perfect and holy. I am restricting God from working through me. But if I can, if I can instead think I've got flaws, but he can still work through me then that's when things change right. and that's how we make a better world. So I, I just want to make sure that that's not lost right. in this conversation. Right. But I want to add, because in the context of this conversation, not being a virgin is not a flaw. Right. Okay. So we really do as a church need to move away from this notion that 
the best type of women are virginal women and that non-virginal women are kind of second-class citizens. We need to move away from that. And that was the whole point of this, that by the way, the Marian doctrine of perpetual virginity has been presented in the past. That's the impression that the church has, has given us, that somehow one's status as virgin or non-virgin, which mm -hmm. I think is what you were just saying, is what makes us uh, worthy or not worthy in the eyes of God and in the eyes of church. And that needs to stop. And I completely agree with you. And that I'm glad to know that that is where the clergy stands. Now, us as the church, the women and men of the church, we need to live that out and, and show that. And the hard it, part is it's it's we're all conditioned by our culture, too. And our mothers. <laughs> by our culture. And as our parents were. And uh, so it's not something that's going to turn around overnight. It's not, but, but I, we can start by acknowledging it. Yes. Um, it's, it is, it's easier to, to say things and do things in the name of God to say, this is to be a good Christian woman. You have to be like this and act like this, but we are doing that in the name of God. And it's doing the opposite. It's saying, if you can't uphold this, then you don't get God either. So we need to make sure that our that we are we are reflecting with our words and our actions to others that we are all worthy to be here. So bottom line, we can accept the perpetual virginity of Mary as, or at least I can, uh, as a uh, teaching about Mary and understood in a contemporary way. Folks, we need to wrap up. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast has ended. ended. Nope. <clears throat> Nope. A little left to go. We do? Oh, we got to pray. Man. All right. How about, uh, how about the Angelus? Do you know the Angelus, the, the prayers? The no, angels? I kind of want, I want you to just like come up with something on the fly. I like your prayers better than all these other guys. They've already said it. Well, I thought we use this as an opportunity to teach nah. about the Angelus. I mean, we can talk about the Angelus, but I want to hear from you. I want to hear you talk to God. And I want to hear you say what is on your heart and what you want God to help us get to as a people and as a church and as a community. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I guess I don't have a choice. I've been told. Um, let us pray. Let us pray. Merciful God, thank you for the gift of showing us how to be dedicated to you with all of our heart our mind, our body, and our soul through the gift of your mother, uh, the mother of your son, Jesus Christ. We ask you to help us to see her as a model, but most especially as a friend and a fellow disciple. Amen. All right. Wow. <laughs> so that brings us to the end. Yes. Fabulous prayer. Thank you. Uh, this podcast is ended. Love as you have been loved. And peace be with y'all. Y'all. <laughs> and with y'all spirit. <laughs> and with y'all spirit. Amen. Amen. And Godspeed. <laughs>